Welcome to QUT Exec Insights, conversations about business and the changing world, brought to you by QUTX, professional and executive education for the real world. I'm your host, Kate Joyner. Today is a first for our series. I'm in conversation with not one, but two amazing QUT colleagues. I welcome back to the podcast, Professor Marek Kowalkiewicz, Chair in Digital Economy, and with him is Michael Roseman, Professor for Innovation Systems in the School of Management QUT. What my colleagues have in common is a strong interest in working with organisations to create their preferred future in the digital economy. We'll be exploring ways to cultivate future thinking with the leadership of your organisations. So welcome, Marek and Michael. Hi. Good Hi. to see you. Yeah. We welcome back, Marek. And so you're our first repeat podcast guest. So I guess that's an honour, hey? I'm so honoured to, to hear that. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> you were quite an early um, guest. I think I was still practising then. That's right. <laughs> So you're both involved in the chair in digital economy. In fact, um, Michael, you had a role in setting up the chair in digital economy. So what were we trying to achieve um, by setting up this particular um, enterprise? So QT is, of course, dedicated to being a university for the real world. Working with the real world is essential and the chair in digital economy is no exception. What we try to do are, are two things. For the outside, we try to reduce what we call innovation latency. We try to work with external partners and give them faster, more cost-effective access to what's possible and to accelerate the innovation. Uh, but also on the inside, uh, QT benefits uh, by reducing our research latency. It's only by working with external partners uh, that we see research problems, and that creates a first-mover advantage on the inside. Uh, so we try to conduct research early on. So you can see that the chair and digital economy aligns strategically well with what QT tries to achieve, and it's a true win-win for the outside and for the inside. So has that been the case for you, Marek? Has it been um, has it been a great ride for you? Absolutely, absolutely. It's been it's been a, a fantastic ride so far, and uh, and hopefully for for much longer. Uh, we've been uh, for the past four years or so, we've been working with uh, industry and government, uh, forming uh, what I call a, a pyramid of uh, of collaboration here, a triangle of collaboration, so that academia, industry, and government get together uh, to uh, not just understand what digital economy is and what it means for them, but also jointly work on, on solutions, jointly work on, on approaches that um, focus on um, uh, the opportunities that the digital economy brings. Uh, for the past uh, few years, we have uh, tested a number of approaches uh, to academically rigorous research that at the same time is very relevant for the industry. It's not an easy uh, thing to do to, to make sure that, that it's both rigorous and, uh, and relevant. Uh, but um, I think we're doing quite well uh, in this space. I think we are too. So um, you're working with organisations and obviously their leaders to think about um, their organisations in the digital space. But leaders have the role to um, engage um, their organisations in the challenges of the digital space. So how should leaders be thinking a little bit differently about their organisations and bringing their people along um, as we think about the challenges of, of digital? So the current environment is opportunity rich. Digital technologies allow us to enter new pathways, and that must mean that leaders can, can spot very quickly and early on what's possible. Um, second, that also means instead of having a narrative that is driven by a sense of urgency, that is problem-centered, we need leaders who, who can envisage what's possible, who can create stories, who can excite, who facilitate cultural change that is driven by collective excitement about the destination, about a, a new sense of ambition. 
And, and in our work, we realized that's new territory for many leaders. The ability to, to spot what's possible and to craft a narrative that is engaging and exciting. So independent of which technology we study, that's the sort of leader we try to produce. The leader that, that envisages the future and, and, and takes his, his team with him uh, or with her on that journey. Well done. Yeah, we think so too. It's, um, it's always fun when we get whole groups, I think, in the centre to explore some of these problems. Um, so we actually, uh, while, it, while the futures can some, seem a little bit like an abstract concept, sometimes it's good to have a structured way to think about exploiting some of the opportunities. So I know that, um, that you've both developed um, the Disruptive Innovation Leadership course, in fact. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit more generally about what were the opportunity there? Absolutely. And, and look, maybe just to draw a, a bit of a background story behind it. Uh, uh, when I was uh, joining QUT a few years ago, there was one of the, the important factors for me to consider as someone who was coming from, uh, from the industry um, uh, to, to join a, a university that has a very specific approach to, um, uh, to, to innovation, to digital transformation. Um, QUT has had a, a long uh, um, a history of success uh, in, a, in a space that is called business process management. Um, and so the, the school of thought at QUT uh, around innovation um, informed or inspired, uh, and that's my understanding of the past, informed or inspired by this, uh, has led to this development of, of an approach uh, to innovation that that in some ways is mimicking the, the process management approach. So, you know, how could you innovate by following step-by-step -step processes? And I, I found it very attractive. And, and to be very frank, that was uh, probably one of the, the biggest attractors uh, to QUT for me. Uh, and so that's the background. And really, you know, uh, what, uh, what my colleague Michael, uh, together with his uh, other academic colleagues, worked uh, on in the past, form that you know baseline for the course that we developed uh, later on the disruptive innovation leadership course in which we share um, so-called ideation lenses with the participants uh, uh, of, of the course those lenses are really a bit like powerpoint templates for innovation you know sometimes when you create a presentation you don't want to be concerned about you know the choice of colors uh, or the choice of fonts you just want something to start with and then you want to to work with it to refine it this is really what uh, what the approach that we popularize uh, is about. We, we like to say that, uh, you know, you don't have to be creative to be innovative. And what we mean by that, it's, you know, it's, I'm not sure if it's really true. There is always a bit of creativity uh, in the process, but we're basically trying to say that you don't have to be this archetypical creative type, you know, an artist. Uh. Okay, so I understand that the, the um, dis uh, disruptive innovation leadership course is a little bit different perhaps from other professional development and leadership programs that people might have engaged with. Do you want to just tell us an idea about um, how we approach this very challenging leadership um, subject? So I think it's two days of intensive co-thinking. Co-thinking? Co-thinking. So that means the audience is continuously involved. We expose them to a new way of thinking. Uh, that means looking at the world, seeing what's possible, and then they immediately uh, apply these sort of new thinking patterns to general examples. Could be the Empire State Building, could be a cinema, but then also to the context of their very own organization. And it's this very active participation where you really rewire your brains. Mm. So we really have to challenge our assumptions about what, what an organization is and how does it produce value. Exactly. And, yeah. 
We, we very much uh, like uh, taking our participants um, out of their comfort zone, basically from the very beginning of the course. Uh, uh, we, we spent quite a bit of time showing how uh, biased we are uh, when it comes to digital transformation, when it comes to innovation. Uh, but we also, you know, it's in some ways it's a, it's a relatively stressful training. Uh, uh, in some of the ed editions of the course, we go to a pub in some of the other I was going to say, that much. I saw right. pictures of people that, that, at a pub. So. That's right. So just going to a pub doesn't sound challenging for, for most of us. But, uh, but what we do there is uh, what we call stand-up ideation. Uh, we take people on stage or give them a soapbox and a microphone. And, uh, you know, in a similar way to having comedians uh, oh, in okay. a pub. Oh, karaoke maybe. Uh, yeah. That's right. We, we throw challenges at them in this very, very unusual environment. Uh, not every edition has a pub uh, tour included. So just uh, you know, just uh, uh, just to cover uh, cover this, but uh, but it's definitely all about taking people outside of their comfort zone. Excellent. So my understanding, like over the two days, and this is something I'd really like to engage with myself. There's six kinds of ways of um, disrupting our thinking, I suppose, and this is what each of the lens encourages us to do. So I understand the first one is proactive organisation. This is the way about thinking about. Um, it's been getting closer to the customer and um, thinking about how we can. Oh, like I'll let the I'll let the experts talk rather than me. So the back, yeah. the, the background is uh, it, it's all about reimagining how you deliver value to your customers. We we do start with preparing uh, our participants to to think about the the needs of their customers or the organizations that they work with or individuals that they work with uh, to think about those uh, differently, uh, and then we apply those as we call them ideation lenses. And proactive organization is one of them. In the proactive organization uh, lens, we basically ask, how could you be faster than your customers? How could you uh, predict your customers' needs? How could you pre predict your customers' life events? And then uh, offer services that uh, your customers might need. Uh, there always is a question how to do it in a non-creepy way so that uh, uh, whenever this happens, your customers are actually helpful, uh, thankful and not concerned about the, the offer of a service. But imagine... Uh, you know, let's say you're going for a for a business trip, right, Michael? Let, let's say you're going for a business trip, right? What type of proactive uh, services uh, you could imagine? So, I mean, the perfect world. The organization knows before I know that I'm going on a business trip. Uh, the organization before I know would would spot um, attractive fairs for me, would would promote fairs, would would put, potentially even organize and, and book a trip for me, knowing what my preferred supplier is. So, so what, what Marek described was this notion of, I feel so much trust, I, I delegate uh, decision rights to, to the organization that is proactive, uh, and that leads to, to a fast and incredibly convenient solution, if the, the trust uh, is in existence. Absolutely. And we apply it to the organizations that are in the room. So whether it's a public sector agency, for instance, which needs to think how to offer public services to citizens, or maybe a retailer thinking, you know, how do I offer uh, uh, refills uh, for a product that a customer already has and so on. Uh, that's the next step, but it's really first introducing that mindset. Mm, so this is the whole thing about taking all kinds of friction away from um, the way that we engage um, with organizations. So um, in a way, yeah. Especially when, you know, when this uh, uh, particular interaction with a business is more of a burden. If this is something experiential, sometimes you don't want to remove that uh, that process, right? Just just like we like sometimes to go shopping just for the experience of shopping. Uh, but but in cases where we want to remove that burden, that's, uh, that's a, a very interesting lens to consider. 
And one thing we can also think about is um, the way that we can enhance. Um, so enhance is your second um, ideation lens. So they're about um, thinking about, uh, for example, uh, the way that we, the process by which we um, transact with the client could be mixed up a bit. Have I got that right? Yes, that's right. So these two lenses, proactive and enhancing, are both process related. Proactive is very much about starting the process much sooner than, than previously. Enhancing is about, as you highlighted, Kate, changing the way the process looks. Um, we don't have a predefined opinion on what works best, but what we teach is alternative scenarios. For example, you might say um, it's an opportunity to triage a process. So instead of saying we have a sequence of activities, we triage and, and try to work out, is there, let's say, something like a premium model? Would customers probably pay, pay more for better service? That's a simple question. Uh, a second one could be resequencing. Resequencing means you still do the same things, just in a different sequence. Uh, a popular example, what we see is um, usage-based pricing models. When payment that happens at the beginning is moved to the end, facilitating anti-new business models. Um, and the third one might be something like um, optional, when, when I create optional um, activities. What we do here is we present so-called enhanced patterns and then let the audience play with these patterns. So on the one side, they have to be able to design the process, see that a payment could be moved to the end, and the second step is sense-making. Uh, and if this would be in existence, uh, what is in it for, for us or our client? So it's just those two steps, and again, it's highly active, interactive. Again, we take a simple scenario to understand the concept, and then, and that's exciting for Marek and myself, we never know what really happens. Um, but we take these concepts to the specific industry or the organization, and it's often eye-opening, also for us an amazing learning experience, how, how creative individuals are in, in using these patterns. Mm, and how we can uh, create a, you know, a, a, a client service that's, um, that's better than people expect, so it exceeds their expectations. Yeah. So we can also, it's something that, um, uh, that I find quite um, intriguing, I suppose, is your derived lens, so which is how might another organisation run your business? So we often think in universities if, um, if Netflix was running our business, <laughs> how, how would it look, I think? It's quite an intriguing question because it really mixes it up, doesn't it? Is that what's intended, you know, by the derived lens? That's right, that's right. You got it, uh, you got it. Uh, so if, uh, if Netflix were uh, running QUT, uh, we would at this stage be creating so much content that you would not even consider going into any other university uh, because there's there's just so much available in this particular. So we would stream uh, this, our services. So uh, that, yeah, it might know. be this as well, but uh, you know those lenses are probably more about the mindset rather than about you know particular technologies. Uh, so we would look at you know the if, if you're using the, the, the example of this particular organization, we would probably look at the. Uh, the, the shift of the, the the types of services offered, you know, from from rental services uh, through media uh, through streaming to media production, right? And in a similar way, we would think about about ourselves. And like I'm saying, the university at this stage would be probably you know, creating a lot of content. Uh, ultimately, derive is uh, uh, the lens is all about recognizing that there might be other industries that uh, you know on the surface are very different, uh, but when you look uh, a bit more closely. Uh, at them, you will see a lot of similarities and, and recognize that they have already solved the problems that you're having. 
uh, I love how Michael uses the example of uh, uh, of uh, movie productions, where this is a business which uh, uh, has to hire a lot of people for a very short period of time and then let them go at the at the end of the production. Uh, and Michael draws that uh, analogy to to higher education sector, where we have to do a very similar thing every semester uh, with uh, our teaching staff. But also the same thing happens with students, right? So onboarding students, onboarding new employees. There's a lot that the media industry or filmmaking industry could learn from universities, perhaps even outsource some of the operations to, uh, to, uh, to other universities. We love asking those questions. You know, we love to ask uh, how would Australia Post operate uh, if they were run by Hilton, the hotel chain? How would they? Well, I mean, it's a good question. It's important for the services. (laughs) Well, it's important to understand when we when we give you an industry, whether it's Disney, Hilton, or or Netflix, uh, what are the concepts that these industries do really well? Uh, So it's often easy for the audience to look at an industry, but it's challenging to understand what can I learn. Mm -hmm. Uh, So with the hotel, you might argue they do loyalty programs or random uh, acts of kindness, upgrading extremely well. And, and that shows also the, the tradition of Dilk. So the course is less about here's a problem and who else has solved this in another industry. It's sometimes just um, searching for inspirations. Searching for inspiration. So your, for, your fourth ideation lens is um, social capital. So that um, it's looking at, um, I'll, I'll let you explain it, but I, I know a lot of businesses, particularly service businesses, are trying to build community. That seems to be the big theme at the moment. So it, it is about um, how does your how does your business uh, attract social capital? Have I got that right, Michael? Correct. So in a, a simple way we say, how do I create a company that gets better the bigger it is? In, in, in theoretical terms, we talk about network effects, and that often means a, a peer-to-peer, a customer-to-customer conversation. This is when, when products become platforms. Um, take a bank. Behind every mortgage is a homeowner. Now I could either compete on, on selling mortgages or creating a community of homeowners. In a car insurance environment, behind every car insurance is a car owner. So what we try to encourage is, is a community um, that creates a new locking effect. So when you see typical internet success stories, they have a very high market share, and it comes from that sort of social capital. And so what we do in our conversations, we, we ask the audience, tap into your, your um, customer cohort, and then try to work out if this is not a single service provided to a single customer, but you actually would witness customer-to-customer conversations, curation or, or shared content production, what would emerge? What would emerge? Yeah. So a fascinating thought experiment, <laughs> as they all are. That's what the ideation lenses are. They, Indeed. Uh, they help us... Uh, Think, think in different ways, experiment in different ways, in, in a safe environment. Absolutely. And, and it is fascinating when we look at uh, organizations that are in the room during during the, the Disruptive Innovation Leadership course, and we introduce a lens like this one, um, that moment when they realized uh, the, the, the social capital that they have. Uh, it's almost a revelation to, you know, to, to some of them. Uh, and then we realize that sometimes you can almost, you know, flip the, the equation here and from just uh, customers, you could turn those groups into value providers the way, you know, Michael described it as, as locking effects. That's one approach. But in, in some cases, uh, you, you can even look at your, your customers as practically employees, right? Uh, we, we had a beautiful example with uh, Queensland State Archives uh, where uh, they realized that they are uh, the largest employer in Queensland. Not 
when you look at the contracts that they uh, uh, that they issue, they're a relatively small group. Uh, but uh, because they're in the business of uh, creating and maintaining public records, it happens that practically every public sector employee and more uh, have to work for them uh, by appraising documents, by you know working with the records. So now the question is: now that you have this workforce, that's possibly into millions of people. What can you do with them? Yeah, so they're all co-producing um, the, the product. The value. Right? The, the mm. value, absolutely. So sometimes we can think about uh, uh, that's an asset. So the so social capital is an asset. But we have other assets um, in our organisations that we may not use to full effect. So this is the utilise lens. Mm. So what's going? Uh, what kind of assets do we have lying around that we could create more value from? Uh, um, we like to say that we talk about hardware, software, and wetware. And what we mean by that is hardware are, are those assets that, uh, that are uh, such as buildings or facilities that, that organizations might have. Uh, software could be the digital assets. Uh, wetware is the humans. I uh, love that term. It's, uh, it's, it's a little bit dystopian though, I think, Marek. <laughs> yes, we, 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 like I said, we like to take people outside of the comfort zone. Uh, there's, there's more. Obviously, there's more. You know, There are assets such as you know, the brand and the, the perception the trust in the organization right but 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 it's all about uh, having a almost a survey of assets available for an organization and then it's a very simple question and uh, again this is this is common with all the lenses that we're talking about they're meant to give uh, individuals a confidence uh, when it comes to uh, ideation. It's not like brainstorming where we don't know where to go with our ideas. So you've got a few guardrails around it. Correct. Yeah, scaffolding. So mm -hmm. with those assets, we're asking a very simple question. Uh, now that you have listed those assets, are there any new ways you could utilize them? Uh, and of course, you know, we start with very simple examples. And the simple examples are, you know, there's underutilized space. What could we be doing with this space? But at some stage, we go into you know a level of conversation where we talk. Well, we have uh, let's say we have we are a childcare uh, um, services provider. We could look into uh, one of our assets, which is connections between the parents of the children that we take care of. Have we ever done anything about this network, the social network of parents? Is there any potential there, right? I'm actually, you can see that I'm also uh, sort of leaking to the one of the lenses that we discussed before, that, that happens quite often, but it's all about those, those completely new underutilized areas. Mm. So it brings us to our last, um, and these, I can see how they're all related in a way, the oppositional thinking. So that thinking about the process, business model or strategy, as, as if the opposite was reality. So instead of charging your customers, they, um, you pay them, for example. So I, I know that the example that you use is um, their business where you take your car to the airport and pay for, um, for uh, housing the, the car. Um, or they could pay you um, for using your car. So that, as an example of opposition, uh, oppositional thinking, have I got that right? That's right, Kate. Yeah. So opposition is maybe the closest to, to business model innovation. So what we do is we say, well, take the key assumptions uh, that are currently uh, uh, in place in your organization or in your industry and, and, and put them um, upside down. Uh, we don't say it always works, but again, it's searching for inspirations, trying to work out what could happen. So what you described is a typical... Um, what's the opposite when it comes to payment? So instead of you as a customer paying me, we pay you, and then we try to work out how we get there. Um, it could be uh, simple services. So you might be a healthcare provider. Instead of saying, I look after uh, sick people, uh, I try to make sure that you remain healthy. Uh, and as long as you're healthy, you repay me. And in the moment you get sick, 
or I, I take over. Uh, it could be directional. So instead of the the customer coming to a supermarket, the, the supermarket might say, I come to you. And that gave birth to, to pop-up stores. So it's not just only about uh, who pays. It could be where the service is delivered, how it's delivered. And what we use is a sort of strategy canvas that we know from Blue Ocean Strategy. So what used to be low is high, what is high is low. And again, like what Marek highlighted, all we do is we, we give you prompts uh, in, in search of the answer, what else is possible. So, so the oppositional lens uh, that you could use to, uh, to, or the approach here that you could use to arrive at this would be, you know, rather than focusing on the, the posi positive outputs at the end of the pipeline when you're a health institution, you actually want to reduce the beginning of your pipeline, right? So narrow down your, uh, your, your pipeline. And that's, uh, you know, taking to extreme what Michael just said with the strategy canvas, right? You just, you know, you just look at one of those areas and say, you know, let's move it from high to low and then the other one from low to high. But I think it's also a nice example that shows how lenses come together. So while we might present them in a sequential fashion, the example you just used, uh, on the one side would say it's oppositional, uh, I look after uh, you and want to make sure you're healthy as opposed to looking after you once you're sick. But second, it's an example for being proactive. Mm -hmm. So I don't react to you once you're sick. I, I try to be part of your life as soon as I can. So sometimes we come up with the same solution from different lenses. And at the very end, we then also practice um, composing more than just one lens. So this sounds like a fabulous program. So if individuals or organizations were keen to explore um, the possibilities here, where would they go? This is a wonderful partnership uh, uh, of, uh, of our small team uh, at QUT with QUTX uh, and QUTX being the, uh, the face of QUT and the arm of QUT and uh, whatever other body parts of QUT are, are relevant here uh, when it comes to delivering executive education. So anyone who's interested uh, in uh, attending uh, the program, whether an individual or an organization, so we have open courses, we also have courses that are specific for organizations, just go straight to the QTX website or, or visit QTX on site uh, to have a conversation with, with the lovely people uh, here. Well, I look forward to taking that program in the near future, I hope. And at this point, I'll say thank you, Marek. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, thank you Keith. Thanks for joining us for this episode of QUT Exec Insights, brought to you by QUTX, Executive Education for the Real World. You can comment on the podcast or make suggestions for future guests at execinsights at qut.edu.au. We would love to hear from you. If you would like more information about professional development for yourself or your team, please search QUTEX, that's Q-U-T-E-X, and you will find our full range of programs. I'm your host, Kate Joyner, with sound recording and editing by Lance Scaife-Elliott. See you next time.